Welcome everybody to the inaugural episode of the B to SMB Institute's Between Two Bs podcast. I'm your host, Dave Walker, and I am really most grateful to you for a little time inside your ears and your head and most of all, your great big heart for small business, something we all share. So someone asked me for the elevator pitch on Between Two Bs, yet another podcast out there. And yes, 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 nods to Zach Galifianakis for the name Between Two Ferns, one of my favorites. Um, I had to reach out for the old trusty mechanical pencil and wrote this down. Um, Between Two Bs podcast is big ideas and blunt assessments mingled with a bias towards small business. The Between Two Bs podcast, podcast grinds on what needs fixing in the business to small business ecosystem, along with expert POVs, lively debate, and the latest SMB research. That's a mouthful that came out of my little mechanical pencil, but I think it pretty much captures what we're going to try to do. New S episodes the last Tuesday of every month with live broadcasts from our major B2SMBI events all year and on demand now on your favorite podcast host. So on today's episode, a promise fulfilled to be big and blunt and biased. And I'm joined by founder CEO of Silver Liney, Carissa Reiniger, and Eric Groves, another founder CEO of Alignable. We're going to discuss the biggest long-term challenges that keep popping up like bad weeds in our b to smb garden. We're going to talk about how we intend to fix those long-term challenges, dare we say it, once and for all. So please join me in welcoming Carissa and Eric here in just a minute. But in the meantime, I'm going to talk a little bit about the top three conflicts that challenge you and how you approach your $500 billion B to SMB marketplace this year. And I hope you join me for that. It's a little later in the show. I hope you subscribe early and often and pass along to your friends. And welcome to Between Two Bs. So I'm walking through one of the main vineyards at Chimney Rock Winery, which is our uh, destination for the 2023 Leaders Forum. And I, I got a proposition to you on this beautiful morning. You should absolutely plan on coming to the fifth annual Leaders Forum in Napa for one purpose, and that's to make connections. More connections, better connections, deeper connections. I mean, if history is any judge, you will meet, greet, find new friends, find new partners. It's an absolutely fabulous networking event. So our 2022 Leaders Forum in Napo has aged very well, not to do too many winery puns here, but we really saw many top-to-top -top partnerships and exchanges grew out of that two-day event last year. And every year it seems like we get better. Um, sure, we'll have major C-suite execs keynoting, but we're going to spend a lot more time fostering those intros and that dialogue and those collaborations between our 150 attendees. That'll be a big part of our agenda. Now, some of you may recall, guys, that our Leaders Forum sold out in 2022, so it's not too early to save your spot. After all this is our top-to-top -to -top networking and strategy exchange for you senior B to SMB execs. You're gonna meet your peers, you're gonna meet your future partners, you're gonna see resources, you're gonna meet mentors, or how about it, make some friends, nice to have in this very lonely business of selling to small businesses. So link in the bio to our Leaders Forum 23 event page. Tickets are there too, May 17th and 18th. That's a Wednesday, Thursday, so you can stay the weekend. Welcome to the Leaders Forum 23. Thank you all. Okay, welcome back, everybody, to Between Two Bs. I'm your host, Dave Walker. And, uh, you know, for our first uh, our first edition of Between Two Bs, um, I wanted to have two longtime members, participants in the Beat SMB Institute, uh, Eric Groves, who's the founder of Alignable, Carissa Reiniger, who's the founder of Silver Lining. Um, if you have not seen my interviews with them in the past for our events, please check them out on our YouTube channel. You're not going to find two smarter and frankly, more passionate people uh, about the, the small business ecosystem and serving the small business ecosystem successfully. But I asked them there here today to, to be my first guests. So welcome, Eric. Hey, Dave. Great to be here. Thanks so much for including me. 
And Carissa, welcome to you all the way from Australia. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. Well, listen, why don't we just kick off by, um, I'd love for you guys just to tell, tell us a little bit about yourselves. I know in our community, you're very, very well known, but I'm not going to assume that everybody listening to this is in our community. So Eric, why don't you give me a little bit of background on yourself and, and what Alignable does? Sure. Um, so I've been in the small business space for going on 25, 30 years now. Um, was one of the early uh, founding executives at Constant Contact for about 10 and a half years, and then um, left to create a company called Alignable. Um, and Alignable is the place where we help business owners discover the relationships that can change their business trajectory. Um, we're an online platform of almost 8 million small businesses um, that is, was built to bring business owners together. Um, whether they're connecting with local businesses that they want to generate referrals with, or they're meeting people in their industry, or they're just finding a catalyst who can introduce them to the people that they need to work with. Alignable is that place where they come to connect and amplify the efforts that they're doing to grow their business. Awesome. And Carissa, what about Silver Lining? Yeah, so not as long as Eric, but I'm not too far behind him. Um, I've been working with small businesses for 18 years. And uh, I started Silver Lining around that time, 18 years ago, with a mission to understand and solve the problem of helping small businesses build more profitable and sustainable businesses. Um, my background is in psychology, and uh, I worked in advertising for a while. And I was always struck by the fact that when I talked to almost every single small business owner, their number one issue was that they couldn't figure out how to find more customers. And of course, that had all sorts of follow-on and ripple effects. Um, and so using behavior change science and my psychology background, I built a small business growth program that's evolved multiple times uh, over these years. And then just a couple of years ago, we launched a lending company where we're uh, launching different financial products, but we are giving small business owners capital based on the behavioral data that we have in our small business growth program, as opposed to credit scores and other sort of more traditional methods of underwriting. And so in both the tech company and then in the finance company, we're really just trying to solve for this question of what does it actually take to help a small business succeed, you know, in a practical and sustainable way? How do we really build profitable, sustainable small businesses? And then at the macro level, we care a lot about economic justice and how we build a more just economy. And of course, my punchline is always that I think the way we build a more just economy is one small business at a time. So it's critical that we get the micro right, that we actually are effective at helping these individual small businesses so that we can actually build the macro you know, in a sustainable way as well. So you you both kind of articulated the the core of what your what your businesses do is solve problems, and and that is probably the easiest way in which to connect with any small business is to ask them what problems can I help you solve, what challenges can I help you overcome, um, and you'll probably get a very lengthy response to that um, on all the different things that they face. But it tees up what I wanted to talk to you guys about and. I think um, I'll say it generously that between the, th the three of us, we have, I believe, over 50 years of experience in the <laughs> business, the small business space um, and working with small businesses. It, it I, I think one of my feelings or at least insights, I guess, coming out of the pandemic or coming out of this last two and a half years of just incredible stress in the small business ecosystem <laughs> was that we number one we collectively did i believe a, a a a good job of responding to the many many challenges that we had never faced before as a marketplace or as an ecosystem however you want to describe this collective of millions of small businesses and hundreds of thousands of enterprises and individuals who serve them who sell to them who serve them and it it struck me that you know there were some problems actually some challenges that existed for i would say probably decades they'll go back before my time but challenges that and and problems that had existed and persisted for a very long time and the the last two years in some cases amplified them but of all the things that we were solving for over the course of the last two years I believe these there are some challenges, some problems that we haven't 
solved in the long term. Let's just put them all under the banner of rescue plan items that we may have fixed temporarily and put up some temporary housing and cleaned up all the trees that fell over. And and Eric, to use, as you often do, the, the kind of the FEMA analogy, FEMA did a good right. job. The business FEMA did a good job of kind of helping to fix things. But as we come out of it and we really look to the future, is it time for us to, in this particular moment where we are, to look at those long-term challenges and say, hey, let's actually start working collectively together just like we did during the crisis and see if we can't come together and really fix these long-term problems. So hence the title of this, this opening podcast, Fix It. And I'll start with you, Carissa, just asking you the question, as you scan the horizon of the small business ecosystem and you bring to bear all of your experience and all of the good work and all the learnings that you had from the last two and a half, three years, what what do you identify as a single greatest challenge that has persisted for many years, that persists to this day, that you would love to see addressed? How much time do I have and can I have 10 instead of one? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Listen, I think if I can be, you know, if I can answer the question a little bit uh, different than you asked, but I will do what you're asking me to do. I, I mean, I think that the, to your point, I think the root issue is that we are circling around the same conversations. I don't think anything is ever all that new in the small business space, to be honest. I'm not sure that this, the problems that small businesses face are all that new. Um, and so I don't think it's a mystery what small business owners need. So then the question has to be asked, why are we struggling as an industry to solve those issues? Um, and I think that at, at a sort of industry level, at a significant level, I do think it's a lack of collaboration. I think that um, a lot of the small business organizations that are on the ground, you know, working with small businesses, they spend so much of their time fighting for funding uh, that it prevents them from being able to, um, you know, just collaborate deeply or ask bigger strategic questions. And that's not their fault. I think that's a I think that's a fault of how funding flows into economic development work and into nonprofit work. And then I think at at the corporate level, uh, you know, a lot of the B to SMB members, I think it takes a couple of years to really get to know small businesses. And so by the time an executive gets it and is passionate about it and probably is dangerous enough to do something about it, they usually they might rotate out or go to a new company. And so I think that we have sort of these systemic realities at an industry level that are preventing us from all working together for a sustained enough period of time to make real impact. So I think we talk about many of the right things. I think we even have many of the right ideas, but I think we have an execution issue. Um, and that's for you know a number of reasons. Um, if I could just say for the small businesses themselves, you know, if I could fix one thing, um, I would actually ask sort of all of us, all of us in the industry, Uh, to shift away from thinking about education, you know, educating small businesses to shift away even from talking about access to capital um, and to shift towards figuring out how to help these small businesses become, you know, profitable. Um, I think that, you know, the grant programs using, you know, what you and Eric have just said is the FEMA example. The grant programs when we were in the, you know, the height of crisis in COVID, were fabulous and needed, quite frankly. You know, we were in crisis and we just needed, you know, a quick solution. But grants are not a long-term solution. You know, a crap load of debt is also not a long-term solution. And so what is the solution for small businesses is not more webinars and not more resource centers, um, not more grants, and maybe even not more debt. You know, it, it is to get to profitability and sustainability. And so if I could fix one thing, I would get every small business and every person in the small business industry to be focused on how we practically, uh, in tangible ways, help as many small businesses as possible get to profitable, sustainable revenue. That's a that's a good one and a big one. And Mao, I, I I mean, I got a pin in a lot of things that you just said, but I want to give Eric the opportunity to, you know, either build on what Chris has said or to kind of take a another challenge that has persisted for a long time. Eric, what do you see? Um, well, there's so much that uh, Chris packed into her. Uh... Her comments there. Did. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of come at it um, in, a, in a similar way. I think 
you know, when it comes to creating profitability, it's all about scaling uh, revenue, right? And building customer base um, and having things in your control versus out of your control. And if you look back over the last uh, three or so years, um, you know, what did we see that really caused uh, small businesses a lot of concern? Um, well, clearly when um, COVID hit, um, all of a sudden things went from in their control to out of their control, right? And um, when things go out of their control, they tend to go into just survival mode. Um, so when COVID hit and government closures came along, um, that was a huge shift to out of my control. And they went into survival mode. As we started to come out of um, the impact of COVID um, at the end of last year or 2022, um, or 2021 actually, um, inflation came into the equation, right? And so for a year, basically, we had another thing called inflation, which was largely out of their control, dominating um, everything they could think about in their business, which kept them from being able to think about scaling revenue. Um, the great news in our research is that coming into 2023, even though inflation continues to rise a little bit, there's sort of a feeling that inflation is somewhat under control and it's not like hyperinflation right now. And so there was a shift back towards thinking that I have now much more control over my business and I can think about scaling revenue. So that's really encouraging um, from that standpoint and it allows them to focus on scaling revenue, um, which we'll get to that profitability thing that, that Carissa was talking about. So, what is it that can help these businesses at the enterprise level or the world that we sit in um, where we're trying to help these businesses? And if you think about what's really held back um, small businesses, it's the pace of innovation in the small business economy. And um, the reason for that is that um, small businesses, going after small businesses has always been a very um, costly um, acquisition uh, equation. And if you've ever tried to raise money in the small business space um, and you go to the venture community, which I have numerous times and try and pitch them an idea of doing something in the small business space, um, so many of them turn their back on it because of that equation. And, you know, it costs somewhere, if you're super efficient, you know, $300 to acquire a small business at the high end, $3,000, $4,000 is spent to acquire a small business. And when you're trying to deliver services to them or applications where, you know, maybe you're getting $30 a month or $40 a month, um, you know, the, that equation is really hard to overcome. And so um, one of the things that we're focused on that we think will be incredibly disruptive is how do we change that? How do we change the cost of acquisition and drop one or two zeros off of it so that innovation in the small business space just goes through the roof because that's where we're going to see these new products and services come out that are actually going to help small businesses get control over their expenses, compete with, you know, the likes of Amazon and world Walmart um, because they can collaboratively come together to you know get pricing and things like that that are available to those folks. And it was, it was interesting yesterday. I was at a at a, um, a get together with seventy five small businesses, and I said, you know, it's kind of interesting. There's eight million small businesses on Alignable that you can work with to grow your business. And um, if you think of the largest companies in the world, Walmart is two point three million. Amazon is like one point six or something like that million. So you know, we're three x um, the opportunity that Amazon is in itself by being part of this community. And through that, we're going to get economies of scale. We just have to work on ways to make it happen. And so it's super exciting to sort of see what the next 10 years are going to be in the small business space. But I think it's, you know, it's really all about accelerating this pace of innovation, which is solving that problem of cost of acquisition, because then the venture dollars will follow and uh, innovation will just really take off. So many things to unpack there. Um, and, and I, and we want to put a pin in so many of them, but kind of circling back, Carissa, to you in this notion of of profitability, it, it, mm. th that's really um, the the action that that or or the the challenge that uh, collectively we need to address. G give us some some ways in which 
specifically, you said, I'd love to get everybody aligned around this issue of, of creating profitability on behalf of small businesses, um, including the small businesses engagement as well. Um, what are some of the things that you see as part of that playbook to make that big fix? Yeah, listen, I think, I mean, I always think about everything at sort of the the small business and then the community and then the sort of, you know, global level. And at the small business level, for a lot of small businesses, I think that there's such a culture of entrepreneurship that is focused on revenue instead of profit. One of the number one lessons we have to teach our small businesses is that, you know, it'd be better to have a business that makes $100,000 in revenue and $20,000 in profit than one that makes $300,000 in revenue and loses $30,000 a year. And so um, most small businesses have sort of been taught that a sign of success is their revenue. You know, if they've hired more staff, if they've won an award, if they have social media followers. And at the end of the day, the, I mean, the majority of them are not profitable. So uh, I think one is celebrating and rewarding um, and just making small business owners feel good about being focused on profit and not buying into this culture of entrepreneurship where bigger is always better. We do a lot of uh, mindset shifting and behavior change shifting to encourage small business owners to be a lot more honest about what they want out of their business and the life they want to live and the businesses they want to create and um, the work they want to do. And then to figure out a business model that allows for that. So I think it's a, I think it's a reframing of the culture of entrepreneurship. I think it is educating small businesses and uh, making them feel really confident about why profit is more powerful than revenue. Um, and so I think that there's, you know, there's, that's an education element. It is a, uh, it's a culture change. Uh, and I think, again, it's a larger indictment on, again, what I think is really wrong about the culture of entrepreneurship. And so I, I'm i always incredibly passionate about this idea that, you know, we've got to reinstill a sense of pride in being a small business owner because it is small business owners that are driving the global economy, not the next unicorn. And it is small business owners that, you know, make our communities great and hire people and volunteer for Little League teams. And so um, if we can make small business owners proud of the types of businesses they're building and recognize recognize that uh, profit is going to help them more than just, you know, revenue for the sake of revenue. Uh, I think that's critical. On the community level, I mean, I really, I we, we say this all the time, and so I feel like I'm, uh, you know, a little bit repetitive, but we've got to teach people to choose community over convenience. Um, I think how people spend their money is probably almost as important, if not more important than how they vote politically. And so really, really, really encouraging consumer behavior to buy from small businesses. It's usually a little bit more expensive and it can be a little bit less convenient. Some of what Eric was talking about, I think it's critical if we could figure out, you know, the technology and the tools and the platforms that allow for businesses to sell at scale in an easier way and for consumers to buy from them in an easier way. Um, I think that's actually really important because I do believe that we need to remind people that, you know, with every dollar we spend, we're sort of voting for the world that we live in. And there's a lot of work that I think we can do uh, to get people to buy from small businesses. The same thing goes then to the industry. Um, I, I have long said, Dave, you know, I've talked about this, but I've long said that we need every corporation to stop marketing and selling and advertising to small businesses and just buy from them, you know, do contracts with them. Don't give them grants, give them, give them contracts. And so um, I'm a really, really big believer in the power of uh, small businesses having a sense of pride in building good businesses and good businesses need good customers. So um, I would say that it's this sort of joint, uh, you know, message of at a individual basis reinstilling that sense of pride in being a business owner at a global level, changing the culture of entrepreneurship and, you know, celebrating that local small business that employs three people and is a pillar of their community instead of someone like Elon Musk. Um, and then at that sort of community level, understanding that whether we're, you know, the stewards of a company like the three of us are, or we are the average consumer that's choosing to go to you know, the the chain coffee store or the small business next door, that how we spend our money and how we how we distribute our, you know, our buying power really does have the chance to make a big impact. So I want I, I want to come back to that because I think that the notion of changing the culture of around entrepreneurship, which with many different kind of touch points that you just described is worthy of unpacking a little bit more. But Eric, back to you. 
the this notion that really innovation is going to be critical for this future success of small businesses um and encouraging that information in the overall economic model of serving small business i got it what are some of the things that small businesses and you do surveys like crazy of all of your nine million plus members now what are some of the things that they point to and say i would really like an innovation and or a fix with something new uh to help me better better run my small business well um not surprisingly the number one area that they're focused on is access to new customers um and how they build their businesses um that whenever we survey them that's the you know what's the number one thing that you want to get better at this year what's the number one thing that you want more tools on this year it's really all about um increasing their visibility and increasing their access to customers um kind of fits nicely with what Chris was saying like you know we just need to look more at the way we're spending our money and literally just say how can i shift 10% 20% of what i'm spending from large um companies that where the money flows out of my community out of my state and just shift that to locally owned businesses so the money stays within my community um and helps rebuild my community and pays for the things that are important to me and so it's kind of this two-sided equation where you need consumers to sort of think about more you know how do i spend my money locally and you need to help business owners um with access to the tools engage that audience whether it's with online selling or uh just simply reaching them in new ways um those are the areas that they're most focused on and um you know not surprisingly when you ask a small business owner what their new best source of a new customer is it's word of mouth referrals mm-hmm. um hands down um it was funny when i did the session yesterday i asked a woman that was sitting right in front of me and i was like you know she said word of mouth referrals and i was like dang good are you nailed that right <laughs> it was kind of like you know if you ask them they will tell you that and um you know that's one of the sort of major tenants behind alignable is you know if we're it's just word of mouth mouths is a network right so it's mm-hmm. it's bringing these small business owners out of isolation and helping them network with each other so that they can be referring customers to each other that really fuels this word of mouth referral engine and getting them to understand that and to help them actually gain access to that network um we think is the answer to that and that's why we're you know we're kind of focused on it at alignable um but i would say that's sort of the space that they're most interested in um innovating on it and then you know in a different subject matter i think one of the other challenges that small business owners face in, um is that you know over 30% of small businesses have less than 30 days of cash on hand you know we do nothing as a country to really encourage small businesses to build up a cash reserve right i mean its tax system is set up to say you know you don't want to create profit um because you don't want to pay taxes um there's no sort of ira for a small business owner to start to build up a reserve of capital um for uh the next time a pandemic hits or something happens in your business and you need access to capital and you can't turn to the financial markets to get access to it um and we need to find a way to almost do what we've done for individuals um with 401k's and IRAs and things like that and ask ourselves is there some kind of um legislative reform that we can put in place that will encourage business owners to start to slowly build up the capital within their businesses um for a rainy day and mm-hmm. do it in a tax favorable way um so that when you know the next emergency hits we don't have to lean in with billions and trillions of dollars on on ppp funding um we have the reserves already built within the system so um that that's a a great additional challenge frankly to add to the pile of challenges that were you know that were kind of identifying is there um when carissa when you think about just kind of bridging off of eric's what's eric's identifying as can we create more savings 
behind that profitability that I think we all agree is important for the health of a business. You've actually gone to school on the the means and mechanisms for small businesses to gain access to capital when they need it. Um, talk a little bit about some of the innovations that you've really tried to put forward in the form of just um, applying for a loan and the criteria by which have unfortunately become the 50 year plus standard of how a small business actually gets the money that it needs to make payroll or to uh, acquire new equipment or whatever. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So we, so Eric, I love what you just said, and I'm going to arrive back there and, and I think probably end up making your point a second time. So um, I'll just basically be adamantly agreeing with you, but um you know, I've, I've been starting to talk a lot more about this idea of the small business capital stack. And it's very different than, you know, a startup or a corporation. And I, in my opinion, a small business capital stack has to be profitable revenue first, fair debt second, if and when needed. Uh, third, right, uh, equity investment in very rare instances and only if equity investment in the terms of venture capital changed dramatically. And ideally, grants would not be necessary for small businesses. And so, um, I love the idea though, of adding savings into that capital stack. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take that out of um, out of this session. So thank you, Eric, for that. What we what we saw is that while our product is so focused on helping small businesses understand how to and then actually take the action steps to build profitable revenue, find new customers, hit their sales goals, uh, you know, get to the point where they are profitable and sustainable. There were all these instances, to your point, Dave, where, you know, a $20,000 loan to buy inventory or a $50,000 loan to get through a hard crop, you know, bad season if you're a farmer or, you know, enough money to hire that employee that you need that you, you know, you'll think you'll be able to sort of make the money back up over six months, you know, small amounts of money that actually would make a very big difference. Um, what we saw was happening for the majority of small businesses is that they would go to, you know, a CDFI or the SBA or their local bank, um, and they would get denied. They'd get declined the majority of the time. Mm -hmm. And then if they got declined at sort of a place that would be, uh, you know, more fair in terms of interest rates and, and deal loan terms, uh, they would go to alternative lenders um, and they would sometimes get approved. But the interest rate was so high that taking on that debt actually crippled them. So we have had um, more small businesses come and join our program because they had taken, because they actually got it, they got a loan. And that's why I have such a, a passionate response to this idea that we're always talking about, you know, access to capital. Access to capital is not the problem we have to solve for. The problem we have to solve for is how to make sure small business owners get the right capital with the right terms and that that capital is built against a strategic business plan. It's not just, you know, capital because we're seeing small businesses that have taken on debt oftentimes in a worse position after getting it than before. So I say all that to say, you know, small businesses seem to be stuck between these two choices, right? Uh, sort of keep waiting for debt until you, you know, have all the qualifications that the world has decided you need to show or take it at terms that are probably going to leave you worse off. We have a ton of behavioral data in our SaaS program. So our, our small business growth program, we work with a business over the course of a year uh, we have an average of a four-year timeframe with our with our small businesses, meaning they renew multiple years and keep using the program year after year. So we've got this beautiful set of data uh, and data that sort of helps us understand the correlation between the types of behaviors that the small businesses will do that ultimately add up to them hitting their sales goals and, and you know, accomplishing that profitable, sustainable revenue. And so uh, we started lending against our behavioral data in early 2021. Um, and our philosophy was if we could give loans purely based on behavioral data, we don't look at credit scores, we don't look at financial statements, we don't do any of the sort of traditional you know, credit assessment. Uh, and if we start to imagine that small business owners are credit worthy based on their tenacity, their commitment, their hustle, their, you know, their sort of courage to never give up, um, then we have to assume we would be able to get more money into more people's hands and we would have a decent repayment rate because, you know, I believe that most small business owners do do the right thing. It might take them longer than they wanted, but they always do. So we've issued almost a million dollars in loans using that formula. 
Um, 97% of the small businesses that have received a loan from us have been declined by a bank in the last two years. Um, our, our portfolio is radically and beautifully diverse in terms of uh, gender, location, industry, um, race, you know, all, religion, all the, all the things. Um, and one of the things that we've actually been talking about, or one of the sort of interesting realizations that we've had is that while I actually believe our repayment rates are going to be very high, uh, almost every single one of our uh, borrowers has needed to extend the term of the loan uh, to decrease their monthly payments. So cash flow is a big issue, as we know, for small businesses. Um, and so what that means is that we will ultimately make more money on the loan because the loan will be, let's say, over four years instead of three. And we've been talking about exactly what uh, Eric just suggested, which is what would happen if um, after a certain point, you know, we covered the cost of the of the lending and any extra interest that we uh, collected we actually put into a savings account for them. And so as they built the character building behavior and as they did the right thing by paying their loan back, which they have to do, I believe, you know, business is business. Uh, but is there a moment where we could actually help them turn that into a savings account? Or could they pay an extra hundred bucks a month with their loan payment that we would uh, put aside for them into savings accounts? So we're starting to think now, I think we've cracked the code on how to deliver the funds, but now we're really starting to look at uh, what could we do in creative ways to help them with overall financial sustainability? Um, we're also right now designing a product to help them buy property. So that's a sort of our next big release. And then we're actually going to start looking at potentially some banking as well. Um, you know, one of the things that we hear all day long every day is how little small businesses enjoy working with <laughs> their banks. Uh, and so I think there's a really interesting way to imagine a small business first approach to sort of banking and capital um, that just rewrites a lot of these rules that to your point have been in place for decades for seemingly no good reason because I don't think they're working. Wow. Again, another incredibly rich response with lots of stuff. Could you repeat, by the way, what you what you um, believe are the elements of the SMB capital stack? It's a really great handle for what kind of we're talking about here and in integrating a lot of these issues. So it's profitability. It's fair debt. They have profitable revenue first, fair debt second, fair being the critical word there. Um, right. uh, equity investment in rare instances and only if the traditional venture capital model changed. So there's like about 27 caveats on that. Mm -hmm. And then grants rarely is how I do it. You know, grants only, you know, only if in a crisis. You know, I, I just, I don't. I don't think we're doing small businesses a favor by running so many grant programs, quite honestly. I would far prefer, I think that I think that money flowing into the economy is fabulous, but I would love that money to be going to small businesses as contracts and revenue and business opportunities, not grants. Got it. And Eric, again, um, from your, your ear to the ground amongst these 9 million small businesses, how, how do they think about and talk about their overall financial picture, their their SMB capital stack, if if that's a good handle to use. Well, it's kind of a that's a loaded question because it's definitely a um, haves versus haves not equation. As Chris pointed out, you know if you've got all of the criteria that puts you into the sweet spot of lending, um, you know it's it's one set of uh, opportunities for you, but. Uh, for those businesses, especially those that are new, just started, haven't built up a track record, um, you know, it's it's a challenge. And, you know, I think one of the things that we found over the last six months is that people who were qualifying for loans, even meeting all of the bank's criteria, as interest rates started to rise and people got concerned about the economy, um, you know, the, the major money center banks um, basically uh, went into crunch mode and started denying loans that they would have approved um, a year ago. And so you sort of have this vicious cycle. And, and I do think it's an area that innovation is really needed um, and is starting to happen. I mean, there's some really interesting technologies out there. Um, you know, we work with a bank called Novo that's trying to um, really change the, the banking uh, world from the standpoint of um, the the money, um, the interest rates that are given to banks that, um, uh, uh, I mean, the small businesses that hold their money with them. But then you also have technology like Plaid um, that's being used to sort of provide access to financial information. So you now have these lenders that can get access 
to, in the fintech space, and innovate by gaining access to a small business's financial information and being able to then go and say, okay, we're going to run this and go get 20 people um, to, you know, 20 different banks or financial institutions to bid for this opportunity to give this business money. And it saves the businesses an enormous amount of time. So these marketplaces have started to be developed, but it really doesn't solve the problem for the people that are sort of right on the cusp of being um, credit worthy from a financial institution standpoint, all the way down to, you know, I'm just using my credit cards to try and keep my, you know, get my business going and keep it afloat. Um, that's the space that's really challenging to find creative solutions for. And, and it's also a space where, um, you know, if they do get access to capital, it's at exorbitant rates. Um, so it's like, you gotta have to figure out how to balance that equation. And, um, you know, it's a tough one. The SBA uh, does their guaranteed program. Um, I think that there's many of the things that they had sort of uh, increased during COVID are starting to sort of fall off. So there's, you know, maybe a little bit less opportunity there. And so it's a struggle. And so I think one of the things we have to do is figure out how can we innovate more in that space to really um, provide solutions that are based on something like Carissa said, that's not like your typical credit score. It's really about, you know, what is the potential of this business? How well are they structured from a business plan perspective? You know, from our perspective, how strong is the network of people that they have to work with? You know, what's the likelihood that we can get this business to that point where um, it crosses the line and gets access to traditional capital? And how do we put them on pathways to get there? And that's why I think, you know, a lot of what Chris is doing is sort of fantastic because it's really kind of creating an on-ramp for these business owners to really um, get into the place where they need to be to get access to the resources at, at uh, affordable rates. And uh, speaking of haves and have-nots, and that was a great kind of, I, th I think, from my perspective, what I see is is that there really are multiple classifications or groupings of small businesses that you know start with, frankly, every small business being its own unique snowflake, um, and that fragmentation leads to lots and lots of challenges that seem to span many, many, many small businesses. But then you go to another big segment of small businesses, and it's an entirely different challenge. So. I think that's fragmentation and will always be kind of a persistent, a persistent underlying factor in trying to figure out how to come up with big solutions and big fixes. But that said, um, you had mentioned haves and haves not, have nots, and, and not to put you on the spot and, and not frankly to try and make this in any way, shape or form political, but the disparity between big business and the way in which they are treated and ultimately operate has such huge disparity with small businesses and particularly small business collectively um, in how they are treated and how they operate. Um, is First of all, speak to that a little bit, that disparity. What, what do you think are the most important disparities between the way in which big businesses are treated and the way small businesses are treated particularly in the context that small businesses are 5x in total contribution, if not more so, in total contribution to our economy. Um, talk about that disparity for a minute. Uh, <laughs> that's a huge one. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of it comes back to where the power lies within places like Washington um, and who has the largest lobbyists and, um, you know, the pressures that they put on Congress. And, um, you know, unfortunately, large organizations have deep, deep pockets that they spend on lobby, lobbying organizations that, you know, the average small business owner just doesn't have. Um, and, you know, if, if you were to ask me the one way to solve this problem, it would be, you know, term limits. <laughs> but I'm not sure we want to go there at this point. Um, but I mean, you kind of have to flush these people out of Washington that have been in the pockets of the big businesses for so long um, that they don't want to do the right thing for small businesses. But, um, you know, th that can take us down a third rail. So I'll stop there and pass it over to Carissa. <laughs> I would say a big ditto to you, Eric. And I think, you know, largely connected to that, I always I always say that one of my best, you know, my biggest pet peeves is watching every single one, you know, of the thousands of small businesses that we work with around the world 
paying their taxes every year as they, you know, maybe it might, maybe it's only $5,000 in taxes or $20,000 in taxes or whatever it is. But in these small businesses pay their taxes. I don't know one small business that doesn't intentionally, or if they make a mistake, you know, they don't get, you know, stocked, borderline stocked by the IRS or the equivalent agency in other countries. And then you just watch, you know, report after report of the wealthiest corporations, you know, having savvy enough accountants that they can basically pay no taxes. And I just think that that is, you know, that's the um, symptom, not the root. I think the root is what Eric's actually saying, which I agree with fully. But the symptom of what Eric is saying or the, you know, the, the net result of it is that you just have this unbelievable disparity where the people who have the least um, are held to a higher standard work harder, pay more, uh, have more challenges. And when they make a simple, you know, an honest mistake, maybe, and they don't file paperwork properly, you know, are really aggressively, you know, counted for lack of a better word. And, you know, on the other side, the people who have more than enough to do their part um, have the resources to spend to get out of those basic responsibilities. I think, you know, I think we need to look at the level of responsibility we all take. Um, and my very strong belief is that the more we have, uh, the more responsibility we also have. Uh, there's a great quote that I love, which is, you know, the more you have, don't don't build a higher fence, build a bigger table. Um, and so I think for corporations in particular, for people with influence, with people with power, people with money, um, we need to be distributing it and using it and leveraging it for the betterment of the collective, as opposed to, you know, moving our money offshore so that we can avoid taxes to get our shareholders more cash. Meanwhile, the burden of infrastructure and the burden of tax paying falls to the small to the small guys. And I think, you know, that's the one, you know, major thing that, again, like you said, Dave, it's not new news, but we saw it so clearly during COVID, right? Uh, so often, those who have the least are also the most burdened with the hardest issues. And so for those of us who have the most, right, and I'd put us three in that category, what you know, what are we going to do about it? How do we and all the people listening do something to shift that dynamic? And it's 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 a responsibility. And it requires a lot of hard work, I think. So um, I'm driving here to do some grocery shopping in my lovely hometown of St. Charles, Illinois, and taking a classic American roadway, Highway 64, which used to be the only straight route from downtown Chicago to Omaha, Nebraska. So now you have that trivia question that you can answer at your next garden party. Now, I know this route like the back of my hand. I've been here 20 plus years. But, you know, I'll still check ways to see where the traffic is jammed or where the cops are hiding out. And that's a great metaphor for our Forward 23 event. You may know the road ahead in selling to small businesses, but check those external factors. So for the road ahead in B2SMB, check out our Forward 23 virtual event on March 22nd. It's a collection of playbooks and insights and research that is exclusively focused on SMBs. And we've gathered it all in one place, all the data and all the insights and the resources and the support you need for success in the 2023 small business marketplace. So you're gonna hear from a lot of different subject matter experts. You're gonna hear from folks at Accenture, from Tarsi, from Ruby, from business.com. You're also gonna hear from Leadership at Alignable, from Dun & Bradstreet, from Zero, from Lately, and a whole lot more. We'll probably have in total, I'm going to guess somewhere between 25 to 30 different segment presentations all presented virtually. And, okay, so, so this, is, this is, believe it or not, this is free. I know, I, I almost just swerved off the road saying that out loud, but the Ford event has always been our way of getting all of us smarter and better at what we do. And really, it's for the ultimate benefit of our small business customers who, let's let's face it, we want them to succeed. We want our customers to succeed. So, link in the bio to our event page, free tickets too. And then tune in on March 22nd and then uh, online for the remainder of the year so you can listen on your own schedule to all of our Forward 23 segments. My question is who is, and, and 
I'm not going to let you off the hook with the standard answer of, well, we all need to do this collectively. We all need to do this cooperatively. I, I, I certainly believe that. But is there a, and I believe there is, is there a, uh, a voice that can lead this conversation towards and these solutions towards these fixes that we've all talked about for the last 45 minutes? Is there a group, a single group that's organized in, in some form or another that can help to advance a lot of the issues and causes that we're talking about and PS can enlist the uh, the larger community, the larger marketplace for participation really across the board? Jump ball, either one of you. Eric, you take that first. I'm curious what you're going to say about that. Um, I was going to go, you go first. Um, <laughs> I know. <laughs> you, know I, I, you know, my off the cuff answer to that is no, there isn't. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I think the first step is to kind of say we need to get there um, and start to just lay the groundwork of how we get there because it's not going to happen overnight. Um, but really, you know, I think one of the things your organization they've been doing is saying, how do we start? to pull together the right, who are the right people and how do we start to pull them together in a way that's really going to be different. Um, you know, there are organizations um, out there that focus on independent businesses or uh, so as that do have lobbyists in, in, in Washington, but um, for one reason or another, they're not terribly effective. Um, you know, how do we, to change, how do we go about changing that? Um, you know, is it a grassroots effort to really just focus, first of all, on term limits um, mm -hmm. and, you know, get every small business owner in this country just calling their uh, senators and, and really pushing hard on, you know, the answers to kind of re do a reset of the people that are going to Washington um, and, you know, to try and break this pattern of these guys just basically being in the pockets of large corporations. Um, that's a tough one because you know who's going to fight it is all these large corporations and they've got a lot of money. Um, so, you know, it's going to be a pretty big uphill battle. But the answer, short answer to your question is there isn't right now. Chris, yeah. how about you? And I would, yeah, I mean, I really agree with Eric. I wish, you know, I wish we could wave a magic wand and, you know, the the solution was going to be that easy. I think that the solution is always that it's harder than we think. It's always totally possible. It'll take longer than we want. It'll be more expensive than we wish. Um, and we have to do it together. I think that that is, you know, again, it's counterculture in so many ways. We're looking, I think our society looks for an answer that is quick, easy, big, fast, you know, and a hero to follow. And I think what we're being asked to do as leaders is to uh, collect, you know, to collaborate, to bring what we each have to the table. Um, and figure out how we can be better together than apart. And the small business space, as has been said a couple of times already today, it is highly fragmented. And we do have a reality where we've got nonprofit leaders, government leaders, corporate leaders, startup leaders, the small businesses themselves, you know, lobbyists, politicians, who in theory at the highest level all agree that we need to help small businesses succeed. But it doesn't take too long to go down a couple of layers into that conversation to realize that everyone has very different motivations around that, you know, general shared belief. And I think at that, at, you know, two or three levels down, when we look at sort of the competing priorities or the competing motivations for wanting small businesses to succeed, that is where we realize and understand why we're not very good at it yet, uh, because we probably spend more of our time jostling than we actually do collaborating. Um, and so, uh, you know, to Eric's point, I do think that the answer, if I had to be prescriptive, is, you know, a formal coalition. Uh, it would need to have very influential leaders from sort of all those segments of people that talk about or understand or know or touch the realities that small businesses face. Um, and I think it would ask for and call for a pretty long-term approach to, you know, a couple of complex issues. Um, you know, I think that, again, um, I think that we we keep saying it's not working, but I would question if maybe it's that we are not working together properly. That's a great way to wrap it, Carissa, because I think that, that it, it you know, you can't, um, 
you can't basically throw spitballs at the entirety of what's you know of of the system and the players and uh even the issues that are addressed it, it, i think it, there is this I, I think a healthy recognition that number one boy could we do a lot more and more importantly we could do a lot more together and mm-hmm. really create an environment in which there is a frankly a level of con- collaboration between all the different interested parties that really you know drove towards change and if you look at any of the you know the major successful quote movements of the last 50 or even 100 years they do end up creating an, an enormous number of bridges between different constituencies that all share one common overall interest and then they align behind making making change um I'll, I'll just go on record to say that i think that the group that has participated frankly collectively the least is the one that has the biggest opportunity in the future to participate collectively the most and that is those who uh frankly benefit from 500 billion dollars in product and service sales to small businesses and that's many of the constituents of 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 our organization and organizations like yours who as a collective may have individually done things um but as a collective have really not done anything until and eric you'll remember this well until lobbying the senate the congress basically to extend the deadline of ppp loan applications Mm -hmm. and you know that was a petition that spanned 165 plus different major brands that sell to small business at scale and it successfully moved the deadline application from i believe it was was it two or three weeks eric up to nine or even 12 and and that was kind of a moment in the sun of wow all we had to do was write a piece of paper and all sign it you know 165 deep and shazam we made change we made important change so i think that should lend courage to virtue and and us coming together collectively you know around more issues so um absolutely terrific guy what a great way to kind of kick off between two b's and i appreciate and and i think we all know we all knew going in we're not going to solve anything but if we can start to articulate um what first and foremost we believe are the challenges uh, and we may disagree on what the singular challenges are, but if then we can start to break those down, being the the problem solvers that we have to be running successful businesses, um, then maybe we actually have a chance of harnessing uh, a collective um, in our peer community to really start to address these things that just seem to persist. So I appreciate you guys and all the different things that you covered. We have to come back to this um, and and come back come back to it often. So I sincerely appreciate your participation today. It's been awesome. Thank you Thanks so much. So fun. Great conversation. Let's let's do it. Let's get to let's work do and do it. it. Absolutely. All right, guys. Thanks again. Okay, everybody. As promised, first and foremost. I got to stop and say thank you. Thank you for listening all the way through to our inaugural edition of the Between Two Bees podcast. Um, I promised that I would talk a little bit about the opposing forces that I see in kind of our business to small business ecosystem that are going to challenge us in 2023, um, as they've challenged us really actually over the last three years. And this is a companion to a blog post that uh, I actually wrote in early 2022. I revised it for 2023 because I didn't actually see that much that had changed. And I wanted to reiterate uh, an attention that I think we should all pay to these opposing forces. So if you want the the full bucket of my points of view on these conflicts, then please check out either LinkedIn for my my, um, post there or uh, come to b2smbi.com and check out our blog where it is prominently displayed. The title for this um, post was uh, 11 v 11, Opposing Forces in B2SMB that Continue to Conflict Us. Um, and, you know, I'm a, as many of you who know me, I'm a soccer dad. 
Uh, I never played soccer before in my life, but my two boys are actually really good at it. And they're 17 years of age trying to go through college recruitment to play soccer right now. Needless to say, I live and die soccer, and that's an 11 v 11 kind of game. And it's a game made up of kind of multiple mano y mano person versus person kind of challenges and conflicts. And I think that there are a lot of elements of what the game of soccer teaches us that can be applied to business and specifically to our category and be to SMB. So, I mean, I think that that it's easy to say that, hey, soccer is a game of opposing forces, so is business. But I think that um, just like soccer, what I've observed is that the game is won or lost in opportunities taken for against mistakes that are that are made. And as I sat down to write this trends to watch in the coming year, I found myself continually circling, circling back to uh, these opportunities that were in front of us and these challenges, potentially mistakes that were kind of uh, right there alongside those opportunities and that we needed to kind of wrap our heads around both at the same time. You know, I, I have this unique perch that I feel blessed to have where I get to sit astride this massive $500 billion marketplace of people who sell at scale to small business, but at the same time have lots and lots of individual conversations with leaders in the space to talk about their perspectives, to learn from them, to share what others are saying. And that's what I hope this uh, closing sequence that we do every every uh, podcast will deliver to you. So without further ado, I, let me just talk about the things that I see out there as opposing forces that have uh, um, both op- opportunities and challenges within them. So the first one is now what versus what's next? So what I mean by this, I, you know, I, I'm kind of been sitting on the edge of my seat um, for the last couple of years, kind of checking the news several times a day and kind of saying, oh, now what? <laughs> As I'm sure all of you do. And I, I think I attribute it to the habit that we kind of all fell into during the early days of the pandemic when we were combing for the news for the next now what. And in our businesses, we were, you know, necessarily um, becoming reactionary to the challenges and opportunities that were in front of us, new ones every single day. But, you know, as I, as I torture the metaphor of being on the soccer pitch, the best players I've noticed don't chase the ball no matter how brilliant their skills are. The best players anticipate the open space, get to it, and take their shot. And those who can reframe that that question that we kind of habitually fell into over the last three years of, oh, Christ, now what? Those challenges, those now what challenges. If we can frame that instead into what's next, frame them as opportunities, we're going to lean into our game and seize basically those opportunities from those challenges. So first one, now what versus what's next? The second set of kind of opposing forces is closures versus openings. I mean, I think that there's no doubt the greatest challenge in the SMB ecosystem is, is its population. There's millions of small businesses that are now gone forever And there's many more millions that have been started. And the upside is, of course, that this this influx of entirely new customers and the downside of the loss of so many old customers is something that is a a day-to-day conflict or challenge that we're facing. And this is not necessarily a one-for-one replacement, uh, as I think we're all starting to figure out. As a lot of new research suggests, these new entrepreneurs, these 10 million that they're estimating, that have come into the market space as small business owners, they don't want the same products and services we have all grown accustomed to selling. They they don't they do not intend to be satisfied with the old ways that we offer either. These they are really trying to um, you know get it what I describe as both ways, and those who definitely combined these newly born small businesses with those that are recently transformed, those who can win both sides of the ball will ultimately have the most success in, I believe, the next five to 10 years. If you lean too hard on the new, 
and not enough on those that are transformed, I think you'll miss. Um, and I think you'll miss if you lean too hard on your existing customers that frankly, you may have helped survive over the course of the last two to three years. And then last but last not least is something that I think is always a conflict in the small business space, uh, fragmentation versus convergence. Um, you know, if you thought that the small business market space was made up of a million tiny points of light and that you needed to embrace this cosmic chaos that we face every day in trying to sell to them. Um, I think we will actually really envy the B to SMB professionals that came before us because those who only faced a million variations in SMB target profiles, um, boy, we got them beat because now there's even more. And frankly, a whole lot of small businesses, we really don't know what their profile is. We, we have some, some hints at who they are and what they are and what they need and what they want. But we have generational change. We have kind of uh, backgrounds that are very different than they used to be. I mean, it, it, is, it is an absolutely hugely challenging um, time for all of us. And, and I, you know, you have to ask the question, is there any hope of finding convergence? And by convergence, I really mean, are there ways for us when we go to scale in selling to small businesses that convergence can be our friend, that we can find some common elements that will help us be more efficient, more effective, all the things that our bottom line forces us to, to, to do? And is there is there some form of segmentation that captures this new SMB ecosystem and it's dynamic and um, it's biodiversity, really. So I believe future success will be gravity-based. And it's a combination of attraction forces. Um, they're made more powerful. Those attraction forces are made more, more powerful by our own responsiveness, the small businesses' responsiveness, the anticipation of where the market is headed, the anticipation of where we're going to head, and, you know, some combination in that order of responsiveness and anticipation are really going to be key to how we ultimately design and deploy our offering as a convergent center of the universe, having the best chance of harnessing this new world order that frankly feels a lot like a, the immediate aftermath of a big bang. So those are just three out of the 11 different uh, kind of conflicting pairs of conflicting forces that I really talk about in the blog post. I welcome your feedback. I welcome your points of view and perspective on these things. But I do think that that hopefully what the Between Two Bees podcast does uh, every outing is conclude with something to provoke some thought in yourself, to scribble some ideas down and say, well, how are we addressing fragmentation in the marketplace versus our own desire for convergence and how should i frame this up as i really think strategically thank you so much for uh, hanging with us for however long this has been probably a little more than an hour maybe even an hour and a half um please come back for our next episode um excited to to do this on a monthly basis and even more frequently if the demand is really there so thanks for very much for coming to the between two bees podcast <music>